Hey, everybody, before we get into the show, we have a major earth-shattering massive announcement. Nikki? Yes, it is that time again, Pete Wright. Our monthly planning membership is open for enrollment. GPS stands for Guided Planning Sessions, if you don't know already. We've worked really hard here at Take Control ADHD to provide you with a service that not only gives you ideas and strategies on how to plan your day and your week, but it also provides time and space for you to do the work and not just by yourself, but with others who understand and support you. We meet every Monday and Thursday, and there are three different sessions for each day that you're invited to attend. We are dedicated to making this membership to be one that is transformative in the way you think about planning and taking control of your time and schedule. There are so many benefits to the GPS membership, so please be sure to visit our website at takecontroladhd.com slash GPS. Enrollment is open now through May 8th. Thank you for your time and attention, and I hope to see you soon. On with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on Rashpixel FM. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here with Nikki Kinzer. Hello, everyone. Hello, Pete. Oh, Nikki, how are you feeling today? Are you good? I'm doing great. Your hair is different. Everybody thinks you look like a millennial. <laughs> I, I know. That's a really nice compliment. <laughs> <laughs> you fooled the masses. Very excited uh, about you. Do you want to just say briefly what you're doing tonight and why you look so good? Well, I don't look good. I, 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 uh, I'm preparing to go out on the town with my friend and we're going to go, um, have a three course meal with whiskey and, uh, <laughs> we're going to be in the presence of a mentalist. That is just delightful. I that know. I can't wait. It's just delightful. <laughs> you need the whiskey for that kind of an event. So I'm very excited to hear the report next week about how that goes. It'll uh, be we, fun. We are, we've wrapped up our, our, mostly our, uh, work, ADHD at work series. Uh, but we do have this one last thing that I am very excited about. We're going to be talking about sketch noting today. And we have the originator of the sketch note army with us on the show. Before we dig in, head over to TakeControlADHD.com. You can get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to the mailing list where you can uh, get an email each time a new episode is released. And of course, you can connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at TakeControlADHD. And if this show has ever touched you, if you come to this show and you think, wow, Nikki and Pete have amazing guests like the guest today, then we invite you to head over to Patreon.com slash the ADHD podcast and support us. Support us directly. This is listener supported podcasting. If you value the work that we do, we appreciate you uh, paying for it. For just a few bucks a month, you can join us in the live stream. You can join our fantastic online Discord community uh, where you can access the channels like ADHD accountability and support and technology where people are having these fantastic conversations. And, and don't forget the brain playground, my own personal favorite place on the internet. Uh, ADHD podcast at patreon.com. We appreciate you. Hey, everybody, this is Pete from the future. And I need to apologize before we dig into the episode proper. Mike had some 
mm, catastrophic audio challenges. Uh, and we, if you joined us for the live stream, you saw all of it. Uh, we had a microphone change about halfway through the uh, episode. He, you're definitely going to notice that. Um, we had some serious internet issues. And yet, uh, I really believe that Mike's message and what he and the Sketchnote Army are doing and creating, it's important stuff. And for our brains, I think it's important to understand how this stuff works. And if it's a skill that connects to you and you find it, it works for you at work, at home, then I, I want you to hear this stuff. Uh, now, I will say that if you are a Patreon a member of the ADHD community, we have scheduled a follow-up workshop. Uh, it is coming up. When is it coming up? I've already closed my notes. Wednesday, the 11th of March, March 11th at 6 p.m. U.S. Pacific time. Uh, we're, he's going to walk us through on video um, what it takes to sort of learn the very basic skills, the building blocks of sketchnoting, even even if you're not an artist, how can you use some of these tools to better engage with material that you're trying to jam in your brain and remember it for the long term? So I think it's really valuable. It's really important stuff. So I'm sorry for the audio uh, issues that we have in this particular episode. Uh, and I invite you to wade through it, visit the resources in the show notes and share your sketch notes. Let us know how you're doing. Uh, we want to hear from you. That's it. Enough out of me. Uh, and now, uh, Mike Rohde. Mike Rohde is a designer and illustrator. By day, he works, he's like a superhero, this guy. He works at Johnson Controls on human-centered design, research, innovation, and service design projects. When he's not there, he puts on the mask at night and he talks real dark. Uh, he's an illustrator. He works, his work adorns the pages of a number of best-selling books, and he is the guy behind sketchnoting and author of two best-selling books of his own, The Sketchnote Handbook, and the Sketchnote Workbook. He leads workshops teaching sketchnoting and the value of visualization, and he is here today to do the same for us. Mike Rohde, welcome to the ADHD Podcast. Hey, this is really fun to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Welcome, Mike. It's nice to meet you. This is the first time yeah. we've had contact, so thank you for being here. It, it's one of these, like, sorry, I, I, I love the opportunity that, that we get to, to meet people who truly inspire me and change the way I do my work as a guy who just loves process and loves the idea of, you know, connecting with how I create. Uh, you know, I can say you know, unequivocally that sketchnoting has, has made an impact on my life, the way I think about uh, capturing ideas. Uh, but it's something I never asked you because. I don't think it matters, but I never asked you in the planning, do you have a connection to ADHD personally? I actually do. My son, uh, my 17-year-old son has ADHD, and we've um, gone through a variety of things to help him. Um, I, I have never been checked to see if that's something that, um, that I have, but I suspect there's, <laughs> there's probably a little bit in there, um, <laughs> but I've never been formally diagnosed. I think maybe if, if it's there, it's probably in a limited capacity, but that's that would be really interesting for me to know. Never thought about that. Well, I, I think this will make for an interesting conversation for us in particular in, in that light. My thinking here is that I believe, for me, that sketchnoting has had an impact on the way I live with my ADHD and the way I 
I create. And I, I want to explore that idea both here and in our community afterwards. So I'm my effort here is to plant the seed for this is another tool that people can use and explore and see how it works for them in the way they create. To get us started, though, for those who are uninitiated, can you walk us through what is sketchnoting? What is the your objective with sketchnoting? I, I know that you, you, uh, you know, having read the book, I know you were solving a note-taking problem for yourself. What, what was that experience like? Well, sketchnoting, if in a really quick way, is the idea that you can use visualization uh, in addition to writing words. So we've all been taught how to take notes with words whether you're typing, you're writing by hand. And often that's sort of an emphasis, especially in education, although that's, that is changing, which is exciting. Um, for some reason, uh, I drew as a kid and I somehow managed to keep that ability as I grew older. And I got deep into technology and sort of lost the idea of doing visualizations and drawing with my notes. When I look back into college, it turned out I was actually doing a sketchnoting-like thing. I didn't have a name for it then, but when I took notes in my design education, I was drawing things to understand them as well as writing about them. It was a combination. I didn't think of those two things as clashing or different. It was just different parts of my brain. So when I rediscovered that, uh, by challenging myself at a conference many years later, I rediscovered the idea that visualization is actually just another way of thinking uh, and another way of capturing what's in my mind that often take lots of words to produce. You know, the old adage, uh, pictures worth a thousand words um, can often be true because I think a lot of times you can visualize and, and show relationship and there's space and context that you can more quickly get to with a drawing that might take paragraphs or pages of text to describe. You've built up an incredible community of people who are not just taking notes, but sharing their notes and and uh, exploring how they do their notes. You have the Sketchnote Army uh, that is a, a fantastic sort of online community. What is it that you think folks are inspired by to the point that they, they embrace, you know, uh, just sort of new models of note-taking? I would sort of break it in two, and there's probably more variation than this. One are people who were doing this all along, but didn't have a name for it, or they didn't have sort of the blessing to do it. Um, so they were doing this visualization, they were doodling in the on their notes, as well as writing, and they found that that helped them. Um, and they never had a name for it. And so someone comes along and says, this is sketchnoting. And uh, now they have authority to do it because a book has been written. And there's many other people in the world that are doing it, and they're finding uh, their ability to remember stronger and um, more lasting. Um, and I think on the other side are people who want, they want to be able to visualize, but they feel that their skills just aren't there. They're not a good artist. And so they feel that if I can't do drawing, then I'm just never going to begin. Um, so those are another group that I mainly address in my workshops when I go out and it go, it's to different degrees. And I think the thing I remind people who are in that camp, generally speaking, is, well, you can draw, you just can't draw quite as well as you wish you could. And so it's really a process and a point of accepting where you are and knowing that um, that you can get there. And I think my addressing those people specifically is, let's break drawing down into a more simple way of thinking about it, more like Legos. So that was really key to the message working. I felt like <laughs> if I couldn't convince people they could draw, I probably wouldn't sell many books. So I had to come up <laughs> with a solution to that. And fortunately, that was a big component of the way I approached sketchnoting. 
what is that effort like? I, because I'm I'm one of those people. I I can't draw. I, I'm you know I'd say that, and I of course I can't draw. I know, and I know that that's a limiting belief that I carry around of myself. Like it's it's a thing that I I have said because I habituated it, and then I discover sketchnoting, and I you know my my process. Uh, I, I started doing this because I do a movie podcast, and uh, I need to really invest in the movies that we watch for the show. And I started sketchnoting movies, and I found so much delight in my experience of going back and reviewing those notes, so much more so than uh, I ever had in reviewing outlines. Uh, those are delightful notes. Those are delightful notes that showcase the explosive value of symbols. Uh, when I can sketch out a, an ideogram of something, I remember so much more about the concept I was thinking when I wrote it. But I don't remember the transition of, that I made somehow between I can't draw to, you know what, I can sketch note. So one of the first questions I ask in a workshop is, who can't draw? They raise their hands, so now we've admitted that we can or can't draw. Then I sort of remind them, well, you can draw. It's just maybe not to the degree you wish it was. And then for those of you who still feel that you can't draw, I'm going to break this down in a simpler way that will give you access to drawing in this way as a beginning point. Some of it is feeling like maybe if you stop drawing in like fourth grade or something like that, that you may still draw like a fourth grader. And so much like public speaking, there's a little bit of embarrassment, right? If I draw like a fourth grader and I'm a successful CEO or I'm a, you know, I'm a such and such or so and so, that reveals that that part of me is not developed. And that's, there's something wrong with me if that's the case. That's maybe the deeper thing that I'm sensing is going on by providing sort of a, a basic way into it that's a little bit simpler. And I sort of sneak it up on them <laughs> for lack of a better word by doing, I, I do drawing and I invite them to follow. I keep it very simple. And the very first exercise is uh, we typically draw tree houses. So there's a really soft entry point into using the skills that gets them a little confidence. I, I really think it's important that you can't, you can't uh, focus too much on theory and never have practice because you'll just never apply things. So I feel like I teach enough to get them interested and then hit them with some practice, some kind of a a real thing. And then they sort of get... I think that's the moment where they get it. When they've followed along and then they get a chance to, to apply it, it sort of clicks in many cases in their minds. And from that point on, nobody talks about not being able to draw anymore. It's really interesting how that shift happens. And then you start going into um, what you're experiencing where you're remembering a lot more information. And I think research that's happening now, there's starting to be research around the, the use of your hands. So there's a the physical aspect. There's also the mind part of it. And the research, I think, is still pretty early. But it's this idea that by because um, we perceive and operate in two channels, one would be the written and one would be the visual. And the visual is very old, right? You think of caves in Lascaux and people wanting to mark. They didn't write anything down. They drew pictures, right? So mm -hmm. that was a very elemental skill. And that... These two channels may be developed next to each other, but they maybe access different parts of the brain because of the way we have grown up over time. Um, and that if you focus only on just writing, you're sort of writing into uh, one area of your brain. But if you're drawing, maybe you're spreading those ideas in different parts of your brain and you start building almost like a mesh, a mix of writing and, and letters that spreads, you know, 
all over the place and then allows you access. It's a little bit if you if anyone here is an old school like uh, computer person, they they have something called RAID drives, R A I D, and there's different ways that you can set up your RAID drives. Right, you can have one um, that just mirrors, so you can have like two drives, and the same stuff gets written to both. And the and the concept there is if one fails, you've always got a backup. There's another one, and I don't remember. There's different code numbers for each one. I think it's a little bit like the second one where you're sort of using more of your brain um, because you're using visual and, and text at the same time or in different sequences, but you're leveraging all the skills that you have and not just one portion. Does that any of that make sense? Well, it does. And and I know Nikki is right with me when I say, isn't it great to have a proper nerd on the show who <laughs> explains these incredible contexts by describing raid striping? I am it very excited about that. <laughs> Was that raid zero? Raid zero. Yeah, raid zero. One. There was there was multiple levels. You could like pitch together yeah. three or oh, four. And, I love yeah. it. I well, and that was that was a question I was going to get into. I mean, I, Nikki is. This is one of the things where when you when you think about how you how you coach and how you engage people, the idea of a- accessing both the kinetic and the the audio or the oral and the visual learning. Um, right. That's that's how you make these new connections, and and so I, I think this is this is an opportunity to embrace that and take action over it. Well, because most people, when I when I ask them what their learning style is, they'll say visual. Very little of them will say um, auditory. And so even though people listen to podcasts, they also like the transcripts of the podcast because they can read along and be able to write notes and things like that. So yeah, the visual aspect of it and connecting the concepts, I think is really important. And uh, um, I coach college students too, as well as adults. And I can see this working really well in a lecture type of environment as well. Well, and let's, let's talk about that a little bit, because one of the things, you know, I bring up sketch noting and and talk about just sort of what it is for me and when i am talking to somebody who is we'll say uninitiated okay my wife um it, it, you know the the first question that comes back is is it's a bit skeptical right it's the it, it's this how could you possibly draw that fast uh you know how could you possibly engage in the material and also be able to track what's going on while you're dictating it or while you're you're documenting it on the page. And so there's this this concept of the mental cache that we need to we we have to address. For me that's the elephant in the room, right? It's it's being able to track what you're hearing while you're drawing something else and uh, somehow engaging the material and for our purposes living with ADHD, understanding that the mental cache is limited the value the gas tank uh that it doesn't have maybe the capacity that that others are are used to um can can you talk a little bit about how you approach material in in like a lecture situation or a live event you've done some fantastic live events and and how that works in the real world that's a really great you went right to the heart of it i think um a lot of people misperceive i believe that sketchnoting is all about dr- is all about drawing or drawing well. But I believe sketchnoting is really about listening. So listening and making decisions. I mean, that was the realization that I had when I stumbled into this myself back in early 2007 was in the past, I would write everything down and had the assumption I would just go through the, the jungle and hack through and find the gems in the jungle. But the problem was I never wanted to hack through the jungle, right? I had all this big, these big piles of notes 
And I just had no desire to go through and like search. Like it felt like doing the work twice. So my, my concept there was, well, what would happen if... Let's experiment. What would happen if I simply listen very intently and I make the decision while I'm listening what's important and what isn't important? And then I just put down the things that are important. Um, so that, I think, led to this idea of a mental cache. And there are tricks that you can do if you feel like if you're starting and your mental cache is limited, which is definitely true. There's a concept I call staking, where if you're working along in your sketch notes and you have the start of an idea, but you, you're concerned that you're, you're not going to be able to capture it all, is to simply write almost like a placeholder, a stake in the ground for that concept, enough for you to come back to it and fill it in, kind of do an, a guesstimate as to how much space you're going to need to capture it however your page is structured, and jump ahead to the next part and continue going. And the beauty of the staking is that you could actually stake all the way down the page. So you could get the main con- the, the start of the concept enough that you can revisit it, leave a little space, jump, do a stake, leave a space, jump, and then just make sure and come back while it's still fresh. And sort of as you're listening and analyzing, fill in that information. Or worst case scenario, go to the speaker and say, hey, you talked about these three points. I, I put a little stake in the ground for each one. I want to revisit with you because you're moving really fast. Your information is so valuable that I don't want to miss what you said. Please tell me about this. What's this concept? And while they're talking, you now you've got an audience and you can fill in that stake. Um, okay, now number two, what about this one? Okay, and then you're drawing and writing, whatever. And that could be a way to approach it, either with your, your memory, if you feel like you're, it's strong enough, or you could approach the person and ask them to, to refine. So that can be a help for someone who's beginning or you're in a situation, it'll happen to me from time to time where information is just coming so quickly, but I do want to make a place for that. And I'll just leave a almost like a placeholder, a stake in the ground. When you begin, your cache is a little bit smaller because you're just not used to that activity. It's like anything you practice, you will improve upon. And there's probably an upper limit of humans in general. A lot of it, I think, comes back to making good decisions and listening closely to what you're hearing. What is the what is the person, what's the message that they're trying to say? If I could encapsulate this, if I could, like um, maybe a student in school, you're told, rewrite this in your own words, right? That's sort of what you're doing. You don't have to be verbatim and get them, because it's for you, you don't have to get like an exact quote, but you do want to get the concept. Because it's personal, you might even challenge the concept and say, I don't know if I believe that. And maybe write in the notes, you say, you have a symbol for uh, don't believe. And then you can later on, you come back to that. So it's action oriented, right? So you can come back to that point and say, I'm not sure I believe in this. I'm going to dig a little bit more. Maybe maybe in the staking, that could be the symbol, right? It's like, I got this empty space and they talked about this concept. I want to look around and form my own opinion and put information in this spot. So it gives you some flexibility that way. But it definitely is a, something that you train for. It's something that starts small and expands. Uh, so your capacity gets better. And then you just start picking up on uh, what the speaker's saying. You, you, I think if you start sketchnoting, you get pretty critical of speakers and you find who are good speakers and who are speakers that maybe don't have a, a good um, outline or they tend to ramble. All those things start um, appearing like you can't avoid them anymore. <laughs> so be aware that you'll, you'll be a good critic in that sense. What you notice when you start sketchnoting is how adept speakers are at presenting their ideas clearly and, and in, an, in essentially in a, in a form that makes it easy to sketchnote. You say in the book, the key to a sketchnote is logical organization that makes sense and captures ideas to, and captures the ideas. Think of good structure as meat and potatoes and fancy art as the gravy on top. I think that gets to 
the methodology of sketchnoting that I like, that it's not a one-time thing, that it's okay. When most of us see pictures of sketchnotes, they're finished. They don't address the messy mm-hmm. middle part that exists when you're staking ideas, when you're you're engaging, actually actively machining the, the material. When you are approaching an event, can you talk a little bit about how you strategize page layout, like how, how you plan the sketch noting process? Yeah. So, I mean, a couple of things that I recommend for people who are new to it is uh, in the book, I talk about these seven layouts that I, as I started looking at lots and lots of sketch notes as part of the research uh, aspect of the book, I started noticing mainly about seven patterns that kept emerging. Um, seven was a nice number. So I chose seven. There's probably more. And they're just different ways to think about it. And each one I cover in the book um, as having benefits. Every, you know, everyone has a, an advantage and a drawback, right? So I tend to, my fallback tends to be linear, uh, which is sort of like if you think about a book, right? Left page, right page, top left, bottom right. And that's pretty easy to start with. The next one is a lot like mind mapping where you might start in the middle with a title and structure and then work out from the center, maybe in a clockwise fashion, starting at 12 o'clock and working your way around around the page. And then there's a variety of other ones, modular, where you break the page up into sections. There's one called they call Skyscraper, uh, especially for panels of people, where at the beginning of the panel, you can draw the people's heads at the top or your best shot at their heads. Or maybe you save it to later when you can research them on Google Images. Um, but you have a column for each person. And as they say things that are interesting, you just log it in their column. And then you work, you sort of work the page with this structure in mind slowly adding their commentary until the page is full. And sometimes if someone's more talkative, it's pretty clear who's talking and who's not. So it's in a way, it's sort of a visual way to identify who's dominating the discussion or maybe even connecting the dots between two people who are talking together. And then there's a variety of others. Popcorn is one where you just have, you don't have to have a structure. You can just sort of go your own way. One of the things that I discovered specifically around layout, which can be, like you say, terrifying or scary for someone, is uh, in school settings when I'm teaching teachers, I bring or I send ahead templates, and we can I could definitely give a link to this uh, teacher resource that I've created. It's basically a PDF where you can print this on your home printer, and it's um, basically blocks area blocks that have bold black shapes around them, and you slide it under your sheet of paper if that's what you're using, and then you have a template that's behind the page that you can see through, and then you can follow the pattern. And when you're done, you slide the template out and nobody knows that you had that secret template behind you. Another way to achieve it would be with pencil. So if you want to lay out with pencil, like how you think this thing is going to go, or maybe you want to try a layout and see how it works, you could pencil it in, do your inking if you're doing it analog, and then come back after it's, after everything's dry and use a good eraser just to erase the pencil. Um, and then you then you wouldn't see it. A third way which provides interesting uh, effects if you're using ink or even on an iPad is to use two colors, a black, like a black color, like a bold color, and then a, uh, a bright color that's not, that's sort of subdued a little bit. So maybe like a bright blue or a bright yellow. And then you can sort of sketch the structure out in that light color and then go over it in the dark color. And oddly enough, it's satisfying the way the two colors work together. Like, especially if you're like drawing circles and trying to shape the face and then on top of it, you're drawing the bolder face. It sort of gives you that structure. It kind of looks cool to have this underlying thing going on because it sort of reveals like where you're where you were heading 
in an odd way. I, I don't know why it's so satisfying, but that's those are three ways that you can deal with structure. Um, and I think it's it's sort of like um, an experiment. So I would say everything about sketchnoting to me is experimentation. Don't think of it as like, you know, what you're producing is gospel truth and it can't be changed or it's right or wrong. It's like, well, we tried it and this part of it worked. Uh, reflect on it and find out what works. And then the things that don't work, you just don't do those again. And you keep trying until you find your thing. I think that's really important for the ADHD mind to keep that idea that it doesn't have to be perfect and that you're practicing it. I can see it getting really easy for somebody to get so lost in the details and, you know, not really capturing what they need to capture. So I'm glad you say that. It's a practice. They need to keep practicing it and see what works for them and what pattern works. And I like that. That reminds me to maybe use that as a term when we talk about what is this thing we're doing? It's the practice of sketchnoting. Yeah. Right. It's you, 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 like doctors practice, lawyers practice. There's other professions who, you know, and they're, you know, you practice as a doctor, you hope that you're doing good practice, right? Because right. somebody's going to be dead. <laughs> like in this case, no one's going to die. You just throw the thing away and do it again or especially I think the other thing I would say um, for somebody who's really concerned about that is to do your practice um, privately until you feel really good about it and then you know start trying these things that you've proven to work in a more stressful situation so you're not putting yourself unless you're really into that like I'm sort of weird like sometimes I'll put myself in a situation maybe not for a paid client but if someone's expecting something out of me and I might try an experiment. And but they tend to be small bets, little experiments where um, they might even, may not even know that I was experimenting unless I told them, right? So it could even little experiments can tell you things and you discern, determine how oh, that worked or that didn't work. Um, there's uh, I, I mentioned this on in another place I can't remember where it's a TV show my wife and I started watching about these cheerleaders I think in Texas or something. Um, it's called Cheer. It's on yes, Netflix. I've it's seen it. Really <laughs> So what the the quote we we only started watching we haven't finished but the quote that the coach says and I guess they show the good side of her they haven't shown the bad side of her that we've seen because apparently she's got a bad side but I really like one quote she said it was we practice until we get it right and then we practice till we can't get it wrong so like it's all the experimentation till you nail like this is how I work and then you just keep on revving it until it feels so natural that you don't think about what you're doing that's like professional woodworkers and other um, athletes and things like wonder how does it look so fluid to them it's because you don't see the hours and hours and hours and hours of practice that got them to that point to make it look effortless right because when you try it like you totally fall over yourself and you can't pull it off it's because you spend 500 hours practicing that thing right that's that's the difference and often i think especially in our visual culture the, the good side of visual is we have a lot of visual input now instagram and videos and those are great things but I think we can also be lulled into the idea because we see it that somebody just did that. Well, all the practice is hidden from us and we don't see all the hard work that went into getting to that point. We just see the end point. Um, and that's real. That's really where the meat of it is, is in the practicing of it and getting a little bit wrong and refining until you get it you know, right the way you want it to. The act of engagement is the messy, it's the messy middle, right? It's the part that, it, you know, as much fun as it is to watch your time-lapse videos of sketchnoting a conference, you know, it's great. You can see a whole conference come together on over eight pages in 30 seconds. Uh, it, it belies the fact that you are an expert at this particular craft. And for most of us, we have to embrace 
the uncertain messiness of not being good at it, of having the taste to appreciate when we see it done well, but the practice of not being able to create that yet. And the gap is so enormously frustrating uh, because we want to do things like Mike does them, right? I, I want to be doing that now. Uh, and instead, I've just mastered maybe a block letter dollar sign. Like, that's, uh, that is so frustrating. Uh, but I think the the act of of trying of trying to turn scratch notes into sketch notes, um, it it's not. And this is the message that I really feel is important for this audience: is it is the act of going back to this to the messiness and trying to turn it into something better that isn't about the art. It's about engaging your brain with the material. I sort of mentioned it before, like small wins. So if you can do something and you like. 90% of it didn't go like you wanted, but that 10% did. We have a tendency to focus on the 90, 9% that's bad. Very much yeah. so. And, and overlook the 10%. Like, man, I really nailed that. That one little piece right there, I love how that looks. How can I How can I make two of those things next time? And now it's a two to eight ratio. And then it's three to seven. And then it's four to six, right? You're sort of working towards and sort of like not just throwing the whole thing away as all bad, but to identify the things that you feel like, I really like that. And then I think the second thing too is by watching other people work. I know in my life, um, an example I could tell you is a professional designer. Um, I worked on a tool, a different tool than Photoshop, and I joined a company several years ago, about nine, eight, nine years ago. And my friend was an expert in Photoshop, and I was not. I was using a different tool called Fireworks, which now no longer exists. Yeah, so it's no longer. It's an, sort of an anachronism now. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's sort of come to life in other tools in some ways, but. So I joined the company. I was probably a couple months in. We worked on a project and I had to adapt to Photoshop. Like there wasn't an option to do it in this other tool because we have to give it to clients and it had been discontinued. Like there's all these reasons I couldn't. And I was like, oh, I wish I'd, I, you know, the part of me wanted to still use the tool I knew. But I also know that by expanding myself into other tools, it makes me stronger and it makes me question and rethink and learn apply the principles I know, but uh, in, in new ways. Anyway, I'm, this is a long story to say, basically I watched him take elements from one Photoshop file and use like he brought down a menu and it said uh, copy. And then he, there was a drop down and it chose another file. And it suddenly he went to this other file and those things that he selected were suddenly magically in this other file in exactly <laughs> the right place, in a layer, ready to go. And I was like, hold my, my brain just exploded in that moment. I'll even do that one little thing. And that totally changed how my relationship with Photoshop. And I think that's true in this kind of thing, right? There could be one or two little things that could blow your mind. Like, oh, look what they're doing. Like that little cheat they did. I could do that. And that could open you up to like trying things. Um, so I don't know what those are for the individuals. But if you sort of look at it, like, what can I find that would be that little trick or that little thing that gives me encouragement and find the little wins so that you can keep yourself going that's super important for anybody, ADHD or not, right? Everybody's got um, challenges around um, performing and feeling like they're qualified and confident. So it's just building little bits of confidence over time. Does your uh, son sketchnote? He does a little bit. I think it's weird because I'm like the sketchnote guy. So I think he feels like maybe he's like, it's not cool to or something, or I'm not totally sure what that deal is, but yeah. Uh, He's 17. Yeah, yeah, also he's 17, <laughs> right? I mean, that's yeah. something like my wife and I talk about dipping the ADHD is like, okay, what part is ADHD and what part is teenage boy? Yeah. Right. 
overlap <laughs> and it's not always clear where, which is which or maybe they're a little bit of both but he's a great kid um we did a kickstarter campaign for a notebook so i designed this notebook that was i felt like ideal for a sketch noter and we had a big batch of them at home so i gave one to all the kids and he got one and he immediately started doing stuff in there i flipped through the other day and he'd done several pages so i think he thinks that way i think it helps him and i don't know if it's just he's a teenager and it's not cool because his dad he's sort of like he admires what i do but he doesn't like come out and say it so this interesting dynamic going on but i think he does think that way and i think it helps him visualize so i'm hoping i'm crossing my fingers that uh, over time, he will find that as a valuable tool and seek me out to do it a little bit more. Take the win, man. Take the win. <laughs> uh, let's. Uh, I, I want to come back to the to the Kickstarter though, just to, uh, to give you a chance to to pitch it. it the The Sketchnote Idea Book, it's fantastic. I missed the Kickstarter. I am bereft at that. I mean, polymer wrap, brilliant white paper, lay flat binding. Two ribbons? What more do you have to ask for for a brilliant sketch note book? Like it funded in five hours. How are you feeling about it now? Are you, are you getting them out to everybody? Yes. So it funded in five hours. I think we made $41,000. So it went way beyond our expectations. My partner who's working on it with me, Mike Shiano, is just an amazing expert at uh, production and logistics and all that stuff, as well as getting things made. Um, he's been a huge help. And we're in the we're, I think we're in the last week or two of all the books delivering to um, to different places. The challenge of logistics that nobody knows about is it's a lot harder than you think it is. Amazon makes it look real easy and it makes yeah. it hard for everybody who delivers. And especially, you know, Amazon is delivering from localized warehouses to your localized location. You don't see like the travel from China or other countries. So we had to bake all that into our process and there were storms and other delays that we were able to solve for the most part, but they're just uneven. And, you know, there's a ship in the ocean somewhere and I can't make it go faster than yeah. it's going to go. And I can't make the storm stop so it can unload the stuff. And, but we're really close. And so far the feedback has been really great. And the good news is um, we are, we, we ordered more anticipating that it would be successful. And we're going to open a store at sketchnoteideabook.com where we're going to sell them and see, you know, how they do and then decide what kind of order we would do after that. But um, that we will sell them once the Kickstarters are rewarded. They they really put their money down first, so they get first dibs. And then once that's done and they're satisfied, then we'll proceed to making them available publicly for everybody else. Oh, fantastic. Well, congratulations. Absolutely. Congratulations. Yeah. Didn't tell, yeah, I, I'm just sign me up, man. Where can I go? I uh, that that does get us to the. Um, to, to the, I, I think, the practical question of the sketchnoting tool set, right? Somebody who wants to embrace the sketchnote lifestyle. Uh, what do you use? What do you need? What do you carry? It's interesting. When I did workshops at first, I gave away fancy notebooks and the selection of pens and all this stuff. And over time, I've come to realize that that can often be a limiter. Like if you had a fancy notebook and you haven't learned anything, you might not want to write anything in that notebook because you don't think you're worthy, right? Um, so over time, I've come to basically... I show up at a school district or wherever the place is. I say, order a ream of, bring me a ream of paper and a box full of uh, flare pens, one for everybody. And that's it. I don't need anything more than that. And then some kind of a projection, a way I can project my iPad because I draw mm -hmm. for a good portion of the, of the workshop. So um, everybody gets a couple sheets of paper and they get a flare pen and we do drawing. Like um, we don't really give them lots of options. <laughs> and I think because the, 
because it's a sheet of like printer paper, if you feel like, like it reduces the pressure to feel like you have to be perfect, right? So that's another aspect of it is if you already don't feel like you're a good drawer and you're, and I'm trying to convince you of that, like giving you a really fancy moleskin and a fancy pen is not going to encourage you to like just go for it because you feel like you're going to screw things up. So by using this really basic paper and a flare pen, which brings people back to junior high, um, they just have a blast and they have fun and there's like, there's no friction there. And so I would say if you can get, uh, you know, any pen that's around you, flares are great just because they're really, really fun and they feel good. And then just crack open a ream of paper and start with that and let yourself go there. The beauty also of using a ream of paper is if you, if you uh, get this resource pack that I'll provide and print out those templates, you can slide that under the sheet of paper and use it as a template. And then you take it out and people think you're amazing. Like, how did you get that? How'd you get that layout? You don't have to tell them that you've slid a, a template behind there and that helped you. Um, so I think that there's other advantages to that, but it's really cheap. Um, and you can go all the way up to fancy notebooks. You can do iPad pros and there's a variety of apps. If you're into the iPad that work too. Well, I, and that, that, is the next big curiosity for digital sketchnoting. What do you uh, what do you use? It looked like uh, when you brought your screen up, was that paper? I've been a paper fan for a long time. And the reason I like it personally is because it's a little bit opinionated. So opinionated software is basically a developer has had a vision and they, they give you the options that they think are best. Um, the other alternative is where it's like kitchen sink where they give you every option, and but it can be quite daunting. I can imagine uh, for someone who's easily distracted to like get lost in Fiddletown, uh, messing around with settings instead of just doing the work. So I kind of appreciate paper. <laughs> we don't know anything way. about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think you would. So <laughs> uh, paper by, by a WeTransfer is really great. It's free. I do the pro version, which is like $12 a year, and it gives me some advanced features that maybe most people wouldn't care about. Another great one is Procreate. I mean, I think it's like, eight or nine dollars like i i still don't totally get the math and how that actually works for those guys but they do amazing work they're constantly uh working on it um it's tons of brushes a huge community that's a really good choice if you have an ipad pro Uh, a third one to consider is concepts which is really interesting because you can do nearly um, unlimited canvases it's got a couple of other neat features one is that it uses the vector technology to do your drawings so you can actually select things resize them. You can change it from ink to pencil. Like There's tons of control there. Um, it's also got a cool thing where if you switch if you switch tools, it will actually put those uh, drawings that you do on appropriate layers for you. So if you're drawing in pencil, it'll stay on the pencil layer. If you can switch back to ink, it'll go on the ink layer. And so later on, when you haven't been thinking about it, you can just turn those layers off and see the different parts. So that's kind of cool. I tried concepts and I'm Does that does that work for you? Well, I I'm curious your your opinion on it, especially after getting through the book and and using it as such a reference. Like there you have such a model of constraint, right? And and in that's a lot of what you've been talking about here, right? In terms of of pen and paper and and creating the layouts and doing all those things. I tried sketch noting in concepts and the infinite canvas uh, was it just destroyed me? Like my brain, it was just too much. It yeah. was too much, too big, too dis. And I found that uh, I, I personally use Good Notes. Uh, go back and forth, kind of between Good Notes and Notability, and those. Uh, because it's a page, there's something, even though it feels a little bit arcane on a digital device to be having an eight and a half by 11 effective like guide, that is, it has proven to be really helpful to me to, to just like stay here 
stay here. Like I need, I need a fence. Yeah, I do too. And I think that's partly why I like paper because it does have a limited canvas. Yeah. Um, you can't. And so the solution that I've found, I've heard from friends that are deeper into like procreate is another challenge because it has all kinds of uh, doodads and switches if you wanted to get lost in that. Um, my friends who use those tools, and I, I think this applies to concepts as well, because they're really designed, they're more like art art tools. They're designed yeah. for making art. And you're sort of trying to do notes, which is sort of a weird blend in between functionality of a good notes. Maybe there's a, you know, good notes or or any of those note-taking tools are more for note-taking, but maybe they have limitations that someone who's a little bit more artistic might push on. So the, the solution for Procreates and, and Concepts is to establish your tool set. So choose your page size. I think all those tools will let you choose a page size that's defined. And then, um, like my friend Rob DeMio, he sort of built, he spent a weekend sort of building his, what canvas do I want? How big do I want it? Um, how many layers do I typically do? He might even like build his layers in the way he likes them. And then he builds um, brushes. Like there's three or four brushes that he uses. Mm-hmm. And then a color palette. So you sort of put the upfront work into establishing your framework. And then you just stick with that. And then you don't feel you don't run into like uh, unlimited canvases or 10,000 colors or any of those things unless you really want that. Well, and I think in concepts in particular, the idea of having an infinite canvas with overlaid artboards is a challenge cognitively if you just want to sit down and take notes. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's, I think that's probably, oddly enough, that's really attractive for uh, apparently like interior designers and architects, right? So maybe in there, maybe it was built from that perspective and we just don't realize that. And so there's an attraction there to have the space. Some people really like that infinite canvas where they don't feel constrained and others need the constraint like me too. I like having sort of a canvas to work with. Um, so you sort of need to figure out what's what works for you and you know, establish those settings that are going to work and start and just start working. it. Well, I, I'll tell you, uh, this is, as I mentioned earlier, it's just a delight to have you join us on the show. Any other recommended reading or resources that you uh, like to offer folks in your uh, lectures, things that, that can help you get a leg up on the process, how to think about visual note-taking that you recommend? Well, um, I can definitely talk a little bit about uh, the Sketch and Army podcast that I do it may be for someone who's at least trying it out. And I think the value of it is, so when we started the podcast, we thought, well, who in the world is going to listen to a podcast about drawing? Isn't that crazy? But people actually really listen to it. And what they're listening for is philosophy. How did this person, how does this person approach the work? Where did they come from? And how did they end up in this space? Because not everybody came from the same place. We talk a little bit about tools, sort of like we've just done now. Um, and then I typically ask those guests to give uh, tips. So um, even though it's a listening format, I think if you're driving around, you're doing the dishes or whatever you do, if you in the podcast, um, it can provide sort of a, um, information in a little different way while you're doing something else that may give you a tip when you come to actually physically doing something. So that's one resource. Um, I do have a variety of resources online. Uh, one is if you wanted to see the real basics of this, if you look on YouTube for, I think it's Mike Rody, uh Sketchnote Mini Workshop, and I'll give you a link to this. It's basically what happened was I was going to Bra- I was going to go to Brazil and things didn't work out. So I just recorded a video with my iPad to teach the 45-minute course that I do to introduce everyone to the concepts of drawing. So you can literally play this YouTube and then draw along with and do the treehouse exercise. 
and experience oh, sort of on your own what it's like to be in a workshop. Sure. So that might be right. a really good entry point. Yeah. And then um, there's some other uh, things that I've done in the past that were related to the books. Um, there's a 10-part video uh, podcast that I did where I, I did just um, drawing on an iPad on screen. So I would take um, queries from people on Twitter, like, what do you want me to draw? Throw, throw me your hardest concept, and I got to sol- solve this thing. So I would think about it during the week and then come up with an idea and then draw that for people. Like, how do you draw the icon for collaboration? So I could draw that a few ways to give people ideas. On a few of those episodes, I would critique other people's work. So I would show the work and say, I like this. Here, maybe this is an area you could work on. Um, so it's a mix of those kind of things. There's 10 episodes and I can send you a link to those are all, all on, also on YouTube as well. Beyond what you, cre- what you've created, what do you read for inspiration? What, what, what inspires you? Well, I'm excited because there are lots of other people in this space that are doing, um, books on the subject. So I have a friend who's in Australia, Ben Crothers, um, who's got the, uh, uh, Presto drawing, which is his approach, which is sort of, all these things sort of overlap. If you think of a Venn diagram, there's overlaps in all these people. So Ben's book is really great because it gives you another perspective on, on simple drawing and application. Um, and then there's a variety of other uh, friends who have books that they're starting to release. If you're a German speaker, by chance, there's a huge community in Germany and lots of books that are coming out in that space that could be valuable. Um, but even, you know, the good thing is they're visual. So you, even if you get the German version, you can figure out what's going on simply by looking at the imagery and understanding and maybe a little Google translate or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm starting to move into like more conceptual stuff and trying to understand like how people think culture is a really important thing because I'm moving to the place where we have a culture that's being built up around sketch noting, uh, in a community. We have a, there, this will be the fourth year of the international sketch note camp which started in 2017. It's going to be in Belgium. I think I think there's 200 slots available. So, I mean, it's a, a community that's out there. A lot of it happens on Twitter and Instagram, but it's super welcoming. So if you post up there and you ask for you know a little encouragement, there are people who will definitely jump to it and, and give you encouragement. We also do Sketchnet Army has a, has a Slack channel that we've been playing with. Some of the guys who I work with run that. Then every day they have a prompt and say, draw this thing. And then in another channel, you put your image. So if you're into that, if you need, if you like structured things, um, it'll give you something every day. You can check into Slack, figure out what that is and see if you can draw it in 30 seconds and stick it up on the channel. And then, of course, there's announcements and you can talk with people in that space, too. Lots of great resources. uh, uh, Yeah, this is incredible uh, community. I'm really proud of the community. I think that's one of the things I'm most proud of beyond you know, I'm excited that I have a best-selling book. When we made the books, we didn't know that they would sell anything. So it's really satisfying to know that it's doing that. And I think I'm, there are two things I'm most uh, proud of. One is um, the way the community is formed and sort of the attitude of the community. A lot of communities can be really critical. And we talk about, talk about confidence and building confidence. Like you're, there's no way you're going to build confidence if someone's going to come and like rip your stuff apart. And I think there's lots of understanding because everyone's come through that process that they're very encouraging in the community. And if you ask people for, for advice and help, they'll give it. So that I'm really proud of our community and the way their attitude has maintained itself over the last 10 years or whatever um, in welcoming new people and not being... Like there's a tendency for communities to be sort of inward looking. And I think I'm really encouraged that our community tends to be outward looking and welcoming, which is not easy to do 
Um, and then the yeah. second thing is um, the attraction of sketch noting to teachers. So teachers are really getting into it. And I think they realize kids are excited at the prospect of doing visualization in the form of sketch noting to understand the things they're learning, right? Instead of being forced to type it on their Chromebook or only write the text, like to be able to draw and bring in their whole selves is really attractive. And then the, on the flip side, teachers love it because kids remember more and they, they can understand more. And so they see benefits. So there's lots of um, positive stuff happening in that space. That's typically where most of my workshops are happening are with teachers and with school districts. Um, and then teachers themselves are just going to these conferences, teaching what they know. That's the mark of like a concept that's moved beyond. I never wanted the concept to be me doing my little thing and only I could do it. It was, this is this concept that worked for me. You know, how can it work for you? And enough principles that it's, it's transferable, but core enough that you got something to work with. And I think um, it's exciting to see teachers really jumping on that and, and applying it in their classrooms and their curriculums in practical ways that kids can approach it and use it. And then it becomes a tool that the kids have instead of having to relearn it when they're 30 years old in a, in a, workshop they've got it as part of their toolkit when they go to college and when they go onward now it's a strength for them and then when they get to a you know a company like this they're not afraid to step up to the whiteboard and explain their concepts and draw and collaborate and listen and turn that into something that the whole group can agree on instead of assuming that you agree and actually not agreeing and then having arguments and nothing happening so that's that's the long-term vision that's exciting. Well, it is really exciting, and it is a real treat for you to share all of this with us on the podcast today. And uh, I, I just can't tell you how much we appreciate your time and your generosity to uh, to hang out with the uh, ADHD podcast crew here. Well, this has been a blast, other than my computer's all crapping out at the wrong times. It's been right. really fantastic. <laughs> you guys are great. You know what? No one will ever know. Besides that, no one will ever know. That's right. Uh, exactly. It, Thank you so much, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We deeply appreciate your time and your attention. On behalf of Mike Rohde and Nikki Kinzer, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next time right here on Taking Control, the ADHD podcast. <laughs>